Well, good morning, guys. My name is John McCormick. Thanks to David for the introduction. Um, I'm just really excited to be with you guys again today. It's going to be fantastic. Last time I was with you guys, we talked about the beginning of the Bible. We started in Genesis 2 and 3. We talked about the fall of Adam and Eve. It was kind of a tough topic to talk about. And I was thinking about what do I, what do I speak about today? And I thought, well, let's just swing to the opposite end of the spectrum. And let's do the end of the Bible. We'll just do the whole thing in two weeks. It'll be great. No big deal. So today I really want to spend time talking about how everything finishes. We talked about how it started. Today we're talking about how we're going to finish and our happily ever after that comes at the end. But I want to start today by trying something with you guys. This is first service. I believe you can do this. We're going to do an imagination exercise and it's going to be awesome. So in a second I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine what your happy place is. You know, that could be, might be fishing on the lake, could be out in the woods or maybe you're a city person, you like being in the bustle of the city. Maybe it's your house group. You just love being at your house group. I'm sure for all of you, it's probably being in a Renovation U class, right? That's, that's your happy place. But whatever your happy place is, right now, close your eyes and, just, and go to that happy place for a second. Just imagine it. I can see that your eyes are not closed. Close your eyes and go to your happy place. Okay, now open up your eyes again. Now, I have to believe that when you were imagining that, it felt pretty good, right? It was, a, it was a fun place to be. It was a good place to be. It was safe. It was stress-free. And, you know, it's fantastic that we have a place that we can go to, even just in our minds, where we can relax and unwind after something hard happens. And especially as Americans, with our busy, crazy schedules and our stressful lives, we have to have something like that. We have to have some place where we can relax and, and unwind and have a happy place. And it's even better when you get to to be there, right? Like, being in your happy place in your mind is all good, but when you actually get to go, when you're at the cabin, when you're in the woods, wherever, when you're there, it's even better. Now, I want you to close your eyes for me again, and we're going to try this a second time. So close your eyes. And this time, I want you to imagine what heaven is like. What do you think heaven is like? Imagine that. Right, go ahead and open your eyes. What did, you, what did you see and what did you feel when you imagined heaven? Was it, was it like your happy place? Was it the same place? Did you feel the same thing both times? Did you feel relaxed and stress-free when you imagined heaven? The same way that you feel relaxed and stress-free when you have your happy place. Maybe did it even seem exciting and fun to you to think about heaven? When you were thinking about it, perhaps you saw something that's a little bit like this. This is a couple of angels sitting on a cloud. And if you can't read the caption at the bottom, it says, I miss stress. They're sad. They're bored. They don't, they don't want to be there. They're, they feel like they're missing out on what they had. Or, you know, maybe when you were, when you were looking you, in your mind's eye, you saw something like this. These are the uh, pearly gates of heaven, one of the entrances to, to heaven. What's fascinating is if you Google pearly gates, how many images come up that don't have any pearls or even look like a pearl? Look at this. Does that look like a pearl? I don't, I don't see a pearl. That's just me. But Google that later and see. Or, you know, maybe you saw something completely different than that. This is, this is what I saw when I did it. That's a chocolate fountain, like a fancy chocolate fountain. There's a lot of people in the room that just started salivating, you are my people. I'm very happy that you're here. But regardless of what you saw, was heaven as good as your happy place? Or maybe was it not as good? Did it seem like it was boring or, or not exciting? Was it not fun or did maybe nothing come to your mind at all when you tried to imagine it? You just had a blank, blank slate. One of the, the most interesting problems I think we have as American Christians is that we have, 
very little or no understanding at all of what heaven is like. This place we're going to spend for eternity, and we don't seem to know anything about it. And meanwhile, our culture is busy telling us what heaven's going to be like. It's like those angels sitting on a cloud. We're going to sit there and be bored, playing a harp forever. Not interesting at all. Meanwhile, they're telling us that this earth is a lot more fun. You can have a good time. You can enjoy yourself. You can do whatever you want to. There's no rules. Do what you want to. Billy Joel puts it that we should rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Culture tells us that heaven is boring. But I I don't think that's true. And I want to spend some time with you guys this morning going through what the Bible actually talks about, about heaven. What does it say? And then I want to ask the question, what does that actually mean for our lives? What do we do with that? So I just want to start this morning by, by asking you, what, what does the Bible say about heaven? What do you know? Do we, do we know anything about heaven at all? What's fascinating is that the Bible uses the word heaven, depending on your translation, over 600 times. 600 times all over the Bible. And in a lot of cases, that's used for the heavens, where it's talking about the sky or the stars or whatever. But most of the time, it's talking about heaven, which is where God dwells right now. He's in heaven right now. And yet, how often, when you're reading, do you just gloss right past that? It says heaven, you read, oh, heaven, okay, and you just keep going. You don't even give it a second thought. But what we're missing, and what I want to show you guys today, is that we're missing crazy, exciting news that the Bible has for us. So we're just going to start off today by just diving right into the Bible. We're going to look at a bunch of different passages. You can try to follow along in the Bible if you want to, but we're going to go quick. It'll be up on the screen as well, or you can use your app. It'll be in the app as well. We're going to start off today in John 14, verses 2 and 3. It says, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Another passage, Isaiah 65, 25, says, The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. What's fascinating is that for a lot of you, when you're picturing heaven, you probably pictured a quote-unquote spiritual place, something disembodied, something otherworldly than what we're used to. You might think of us as like a, a ghost flying around, Or you might think of maybe we look like an angel does. We have wings, and we've got a harp, and we've got a halo on top of our head, just like Beyonce. But what we read here is that it's actually a physical place. We have bodies there. It's actually described by Jesus and John as a house with many rooms. We know what a house is. That's something familiar to us. In a minute, we'll see that it's described as a city that has gates and walls and houses in them. And we have physical bodies there. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, we'll get a new and improved body, a 2.0 version, if you will, that is glorified, that's never going to grow old, it's never going to die. We'll have a body. Even the animals, we saw that in Isaiah, the animals will just hang out and and not eat each other, which is a bit different. We're used to animals eating each other. They're going to not eat each other. A lion's going to eat straw, which is going to be a weird experience for us the first time. But what's even more interesting is that That's actually not talking about heaven. That's talking about this final destination that we have that's actually a new earth. The Bible talks about this in Revelation 21. Check it out. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This heaven that we were used to, that word that we use, what it'll actually be, our final destination, is a new earth. It's like what we're used to here. We imagine this place that's in the clouds or it's spiritual or disembodied, but it's actually an earth like the one that we know. I think today having fog was a great planning on God's part because it's an excellent metaphor for what we, we see. The Bible says we see things dimly, like a, through a mirror dimly. The fog is like what we're seeing of our earth. We see our earth now, but with the earth that it will be, it's like there's a fog over what we see. We can't quite see what the new earth will be, but we can kind of see a little bit of it. You see it around you as though through fog. Because things we're used to, things like trees and rivers and fruit, they're all going to be there. Check it out. Revelation 22. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. The tree of life is, believe it or not, a tree, like trees that we know. It's a tree just like that. There's a river flowing through the city. We know what rivers are. We know what water is like. That's going to be there. That tree, in the next part of that verse, says it's going to bear fruit. That We know what fruit is. We eat fruit. That's something familiar to us. And what's even more fascinating is that tree of life that it's referencing, it's in Genesis, in Genesis 3. Because God says, Adam and Eve sin, and they can't eat of that tree, because if they eat of it, they'll live forever and be sinful. But that tree shows up again at the end, in Revelation, and it's going to be there on the new earth. We can go eat that fruit. We can see that tree. That's pretty cool that it's all connected together. Revelation 21 also tells us that there's going to be this city, this new Jerusalem on the earth. This is where God is going to rule from, and he will, he will be there. We'll get to see him there. How cool is that? As a lover of maps, I have to share with you some of these measurements and kind of show you what this looks like, because this city is amazing. So the measurements that are given in this chapter, in chapter 21, is that it's going to be, I converted it from Stadia to miles, because I figured that'd be more helpful for you. And maybe you know Stadia, that'd be great. But 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles tall. Now, that's large. The surface area of that, just if it were completely flat, the surface area is 1,960,000 miles. That's, that's pretty big. The volume of it, if you include the height, is 2,744,000,000 cubic miles. Now, numbers like that, to me, I, I go, okay, that's, that's great. I want to see a picture. So I'm going to show you a picture of what it would look like if it was on the earth today in the U.S. That's what it would cover. That's over half of the United States of America that it covers just if it were completely flat on top of the earth. But the city's not flat. The Bible describes that it's also tall. So let's look at it in 3D on a globe. 95% of that is in space today. If it were here on earth, it would be in space for the vast majority of it. It's huge. I can't, I can't even begin to compare it to anything here on this earth. There's nothing like it. It is enormous. Now, this city is big. But it's also made of some pretty cool stuff. So I want you guys to just imagine this with me. I'm going to read a passage out of Revelation. And I want you just to imagine in your mind. You don't have to close your eyes. Just relax and imagine 
what this city would look like based on what it's made out of. This comes out of Revelation 21. It says, The walls of the city were made of jasper. The city is of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made from a single pearl. The great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Now, when you imagine that, isn't that amazing? Like, think about a city today. It's brick, it's stone, it's wood, it's concrete. This is gold that's so clear it looks like glass and precious stones, sapphires, rubies, emeralds, onyx, everything on these foundations. It's, a, it's beautiful. It's super beautiful. But what's more amazing than its size, what's more amazing than what it's made of, is the fact that God himself will be there. Think about this. There are two people on this planet that have seen God the Father. Moses in the Old Testament, and he only got to see God's backside just for a moment because it was going to obliterate him if he saw more than that. And the other person is the Son of God, Jesus. Nobody else has seen God. Nobody. But it says we will see him there. Face to face we'll see God the Father in all of his majesty. When Moses saw him, just a little bit, his face glowed like the sun. He had to put a veil over his face because people were terrified of him. He glows like the sun, and we get to be in the presence of that. Isn't that awesome? Every minute. Think about it. This is the one who spoke a word, and everything came into being in an instant. This is the one who radiates brilliant light so bright that it outshines the sun. This is the one who says he's going to wipe away every tear. This is the one who loved you so much that he sent his own son to die for you. That is who you get to be with every minute of every day for all of eternity. That's unbelievable. That's good news. He is waiting there for you. And hear this. You're you're not an afterthought. You're not some cosmic accident. Jesus came to this earth to die for you, rose again, and went to heaven to prepare a place for you. He did that. And this new earth that he's making for us, this radically transformed earth is going to be so much better than what we deal with here today. The broken things that we deal with every day, the things that are wrong, they're just, they're not going to be there. Now, going to this new earth is not about just escaping our broken world. This isn't an escape act. It's not just to say, we screwed up the world too bad with sin. It can't be saved. We've got to start over again. That's not what we're doing here. This is about the fact that in the beginning, everything was good. Nature, animals, people, everything was good. God calls it good. In Revelation, God says, I am making everything new. He's restoring what was good that got broken, and he's bringing it back again in the new earth. That's what he's doing. Think about this. We don't even have a frame of reference for this because all we've ever known is this broken, twisted world that Adam and Eve caused when they fell in the garden. That's all we've ever known our whole lives. That's all we ever will know in this lifetime until we die. But just for a minute, imagine with me a world that has no cancer, that has no more aches and pains, that has no heartache, that has no war, no child slavery, 
No sex trafficking. No corruption. Just on and on and on. All the things that we hate about this world that feel so wrong to us that we just wish would be fixed, that we could just do something about, is not going to be there. It's all going to be gone. Even non-Christians, they just long in their hearts for something better. We talk about world peace for a reason. We talk about safety and freedom for a reason because our hearts cry out for it. We're wired to do that. Why? Because this world is broken. And there's another world that's waiting for us that's so much better and we want to be there. But your friends that don't know Jesus, they long for these things and they have no hope. No hope. Because they don't know Jesus. They don't know the hope and freedom that he can bring. He can set them free. And there's a future coming where it gets better. And that is insanely good news that we need to be sharing with people. It's why we do things like the characters in Culver's. Because they, they need to know. They should know the hope that's available to them. We want them to believe. And all these broken things that we hate, they're all going to be fixed and made new in this new place. But what about the things that are already beautiful here on earth, that are already good? Remember with me for a second a time where you saw something incredibly beautiful. I'm talking something that just absolutely takes your breath away. During our honeymoon, Ashley and I stopped at the Grand Cayman. We went on a cruise to the Caribbean. We stopped on the island, and we had booked this excursion. We wanted to go out to a beach, because I, I just love being on the beach. It's my favorite place. And so we got to the island, and we found out the beach isn't even on Grand Cayman. It's on one of the surrounding islands. We had to get on a pontoon boat and ride out there. And the whole way, I'm just thinking, I just want to get to the beach. I just got to get to the beach. Get to the beach. We got there, and we walked off the pier down onto the beach. And I just remember that it was this beautiful blue ocean. We sat down on the sand and looked out, and just beautiful blue ocean as far as you could see in every direction. The sand beneath us, the cozy warm sand was keeping us just feeling great. There's a sun shining down. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. It's one of those idyllic moments. There was even a slight little breeze that was taking the edge off of the heat. It felt like paradise. This beautiful moment where everything was perfect. Friends, those moments are just a glimpse of the ones we'll have on the new earth. It's a shadow of what we will have there. Because there, you'll be able to experience it without stress, weighing you down and distracting you. You don't have to worry about being sick or having obligations or a crushing work schedule that demands your attention. Even better than that, we get to experience those things with Jesus, the one who created those things. Imagine going on a tour of the world with Jesus, the one who created it. Can't get a better tour guide than that. Just think of all the hidden places that he can show us. Places no one has ever seen that we'll get to see with him. Every moment is beautiful there. And every moment is better because we share that moment with him. Our creator, the one who loved us, the one who saved us. We get to spend those with him. I don't think I don't think you can put it any better than Jesus does himself. He says it this way in Luke 23. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. With me in paradise. Being in paradise is all good, and we we love that. That's great. But what makes it amazing is that we're there with Jesus. That's what truly makes it paradise. That all sounds really good, doesn't it? And that's just a tiny glimpse, just a shadow of what we'll have there. That's just a fog surrounding what we'll have in heaven. But 
People still are afraid they're going to be bored, that there's not going to be anything fun to do. But I can promise you, you will need an eternity just to experience all of the wonderful and amazing things that God has for you there. You will need all of time just to be able to see what he has in store. You'll never be bored. Now, all this begs the question, what does this mean for my life? This is great. This is cool information, but how, how does this apply to me? When I hear messages like this, I, I love a message that just gives me a lot of scripture that I can just answer a bunch of questions, and it's great. But at the same time, it, it asks a whole bunch of additional questions that I don't know the answers to. And that, that drives me a little crazy. But if you're in that spa- same spot right now, that's a really good thing. Because it means you have a chance to dive into the Bible and spend time reading about what it says about heaven and the new earth. Study it. Figure it out. Answer those questions that you have. Because there's a lot of hope there. I'd also recommend reading a book that I read by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. I'll put it up here on the screen for you. Hopefully. There it is. This is a great book. It's a fantastic read. Lots of good scripture in there. A lot of imagination in there as well, which is pretty cool. I recommend that you read that. So we spend our time, when we spend our time thinking about our future home with Jesus, being with him forever, it can change our perspective on our lives here on earth. The Apostle Paul compares our lives to a race here on earth. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-25. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Our race in this life that he uses is we are supposed to stay focused on Jesus, living our lives how he tells us to. That means letting go of what we want and following what he wants. That means following his plan for our life instead of trying to make up our own plan as we go. That means obeying him even when we really don't want to, which, let's be honest, is a fair amount of the time. We don't want to obey. We want to do our own thing. We're rebellious. We talked about that last time. Our pride wants to do what it wants to do. But if we can truly follow him, if we truly serve him and stay on this path that he's laid out for us, we have an amazing prize waiting at the finish line of the race. As runners in the race, we're trying so hard to stay on this path the Bible lays out for us. And you know, everyone's path's a little bit unique. Because God's plan for your life is unique. It's not the same as anybody else. Everyone's different in that. But the destination, the finish line, the prize, the goal for everybody who believes in Jesus is the same. We all have the same goal and the same prize waiting for us. Thinking about Paul's analogy, it came into my mind thinking about the Olympics. If you think about the Olympics, those that work in the, that work, that, that do the Olympics, that compete, they train super hard for years, sometimes decades. And every single day, they focus on that goal. They work hard every day with a singular focus on, I'm going to the Olympics and I'm going to win. They even start training at a young age. Some people start as young as three or four, training for these Olympics, training their whole lives. Why? Why go through arduous training for decades, working yourself to death? Why do that? What's the point? Because in their minds, the prize is worth it. The gold is worth the effort. Reaching the finish line, even if they don't win, is still worth the effort. And for us, our prize, our goal, our gold, if you will, is being with Jesus forever in paradise. 
And friends, our goal is worth it. Far more than anything the Olympians receive, the moment of glory and fame, that's nothing compared to the eternity that we have with Jesus. That is the true prize that's waiting for us, and it's worth it. It's an eternity of joy. It's an eternity of peace. It is an eternity of being with our Creator. Let's focus on that, where we have Him forever, rather than the moments we have here on earth. They're, they're just a moment. I think what you'll find is, if you can keep your eyes on that prize and focus on it, if you really pay attention to that, then the hardships we have in this life, the struggles, the trials, the tribulations, they're not so bad. They're easier to bear because we have something greater waiting for us. But what you'll also find is that if you don't focus on that, if you take your eyes off of the prize, your life's going to be difficult. Increasingly difficult the longer you spend looking away from the prize. We'll talk more about that in house groups this week. But briefly, what I can tell you from my personal experience is that keeping my eyes on the prize has had a pretty big impact on my own life. When I'm really spending time thinking about being with Jesus, physically present on a new earth with Jesus, seeing all the things he has in store for us, I get filled with such joy. I think about being with Jesus and getting to ask him all of the crazy, difficult questions that I have for him. And then marveling when every single question he answers with ease, because there's no hard questions for Jesus. Nothing. But for me, that'll be amazing. I think about climbing up a huge mountain with Jesus and getting to see off into the distance this amazing view that I've never seen. But getting to experience that with him. I think about going out with friends from this life that are in heaven and just getting to hang out in heaven and talk about what did you do with Jesus today? Wow, that's amazing. That's what we get to do. And when I think about that, it changes my perspective. It just fills me with joy and purpose and excitement. And when something bad happens, Ash and I have had our fair share of hardship in our lives. Even just in the few years we've been married, we've had just such struggles. But when I focus on the prize instead, the sadness and the difficulty is more bearable. It's not so, it's, it, it hurts. I still cry, I still get upset, but it's not crushing. It's still bearable. I can still stand up underneath it. And what's interesting is that even Christian, both Christians and non-Christians, we do this. We focus our eyes on a prize to get through something. Think about it. How did you, how did you make it through school? School is not easy. I mean, maybe school was easy for you. It wasn't easy for me. Maybe school was easy for you, but when it was hard, how did you get through it? You thought about, I'm going to graduate someday. I'm going to get a job someday. You had that prize in your mind that you were trying to strive for. You wanted to get there because that prize was worth it. You survived the hardship. Think about it when you get a cold or when you hurt your leg or you lose a job. How, do, how does anybody make it through that? You keep your eyes on a prize. You know the cold will eventually pass. It might be six months, but it'll eventually pass. Your leg will eventually heal and you can walk again. Your job, you'll get another job. You focus on that prize, and that's what helps you get through that. And as Christians, when we face hard things that seem like they're never going to pass, and we do, we face things that are really challenging, like a, a, a shattered heart from a broken relationship, a chronic illness that we have to deal with, the loss of a child or a family member. The list goes on. There's so many things. How do we... As Christians, keep going when everybody else loses hope. What's different about us? 
as Christ followers, we can keep our eyes on the ultimate prize, which is waiting for us at the end, being with Jesus. And I promise you, if you trust in that, you can endure anything. There is nothing in this life that you cannot make it through when your eyes are on that prize, because it's something so worth it that you will keep running towards it no matter what. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Friends, Keeping your eyes on the prize, it changes everything. If you live your life following Jesus, he promises you a home for eternity that is beyond your comprehension. You cannot understand it because it is so good, and we don't even have a frame of reference for how amazing it is for most of it. And this life, with all of its heartache, I love how Paul puts it, for our light and momentary suffering. Think of all the hard things you've been through your life, and Paul calls it light and momentary, because you're here on earth, we suffer, and just for a moment, just a blink, and it's done. That's how long your life on earth is. It's just a snap of a fingers. And then it's forever in eternity with Jesus, celebrating joyfully with him. Even death is just a momentary suffering, just a moment in time. Here's how Randy Alcorn puts it in his book. He says, For the Christian, death is not the end of the adventure, but a doorway from a world where dreams and adventures shrink to a world where dreams and adventures forever expand. This world is suppressing us because of sin, because of destruction, because of what has come into it through what Adam and Eve did. But there's a world that's coming for us where that's not going to be a problem anymore, where it will forever expand and grow. If we keep our eyes on the true prize, if we really focus on being with Jesus as our goal, even when we get distracted in our race, even when we stumble and fall, if you can keep your eyes on that prize, I promise you it will change everything. There will be no hardship that you cannot endure. There will be no heartache that God cannot heal. There will be no sorrow that cannot be comforted. And you will never, you will never, ever Find a joy that is as amazing as the one you have in Jesus. So run the race, keep your eyes on the prize, and just get excited about the joy that we will have with him forever. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you for the chance to hear about heaven today. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the the fact that you're preparing a place for us, that we have a place we can go or we can have hope, we can have joy, we can have freedom from these things that hold us back on the earth and that are just so wrong. I just pray that you'd help us all to keep our eyes on that prize, that we would focus on it and strive after it, that we would run the race that you have for us with all the strength that we have so that we can see you someday and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.